Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash ChangeLog. Do not underestimate the power of the independent open cloud for developers. Yes, I'm talking about Linode. Linode is our cloud of choice and it's the home of ChangeLog.com. What we love most about Linode is their independence and their commitment to open cloud. Open cloud means being unencumbered by outside investment and maximizing value for the community, not shareholders. And that's exactly what Linode represents. No vendor lock-in, open at every layer. If you want to learn more, head to linode.com slash open. Again, linode.com slash open. What's up? Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators in the world of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at Changelog. On today's show, we're going to talk about Frank Karlicek about NextCloud. NextCloud is a self-hosted, free and open-source, community-driven platform that's a safe home for all of your data. We talk about how NextCloud was forked from OwnCloud, successful ways to run community-driven open-source projects, open-core versus open-source, aligned incentives, and the challenges NextCloud is facing to increase adoption and growth. We're happy to finally have you on the show. And I say finally because we've had a few requests out there since 2016 to do a show on NextCloud. And we never pulled the trigger until now when we received an email from a friend of both of ours now, Andre Yanich. I hope that's how you pronounce your last name, Andre, who said, hey, uh, he knows Frank. He listened to the show about Sentry, relicensing Sentry that Adam did late last year and uh, suggested we have you on the show to talk about NextCloud and your story in open source. So thanks, Andre, for this recommendation. And thank you, Frank, for being here with us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, as, I, as I said, uh, ChangeLog is one of my favorite podcasts, so it's really uh, awesome to be here. Glad to have you. Absolutely, and we love hearing that. So let's start off with your forking story. Because that seems to be a great place to start. You you had a, a project called Own Cloud, and now yeah. you have Next Cloud, and mm. somewhere in the middle, you forked yourself. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'd myself. love to hear that. Yeah, it's always the always the, the the first question. I think one of the more interesting stories, of course. And I just to be yeah. just to be clear, I didn't fork myself. Um, I must. I still have to work on that. But <laughs> fork the, fork the, <laughs> you fork somebody else. Then. I fork the fork the software and the community and the company. So that's that's well, that's interesting enough for my taste. I have to say. So uh, yeah. Why'd you do that? Yeah. So I um I have to give you a little bit of the backstory here. Um, so uh, own cloud the the project before was something I founded ten years ago. So last month was actually the 10 years anniversary when I started OwnCloud and it was a yeah, free software open source project. At the very beginning, it was actually part of the KDE project of the KDE community. And um, I did this in my spare time in parallel to some other activities. It was a pure hobby volunteer project. Um, I picked uh, the HTPL as a license and uh, community was um, like it was coming together and we released the first version second version third version and so on 
And then uh, one and a half years later, it became clear that there's an opportunity to actually found a real company around this. And uh, yeah, I, I founded uh, a company together with two other co-founders. So I, I looked for two other two other people to found the company together. Um, and um, that's what we did uh, based in Boston in the US, actually. This is also why I lived in the US for two years. And um, yeah, this is, was the was the own cloud company. It was quite successful at the beginning, but then over time it became clear that um, some things didn't really work out that well. So there were some some issues with, yeah, and to be honest with my co-founders, <laughs> I picked the wrong people, to be mm. honest. This, there was also a um, little bit of a misunderstanding how an actually real open source business should work. Yeah, we we decided to do an open core business model, which means there was a community version which was open source, but didn't have all the features. And to get all the features, you had to get the enterprise version, and the enterprise version is proprietary um, or was proprietary. And um, yeah, we also did dual licensing, so we asked all the community contributors to sign a, a CLA. Um, and then the company did dual licensing, so the software was available under the AGPL and then also the proprietary license and many, many other, I would say, creative things <laughs> that, uh, yeah, sounded good at the time, but at the end actually um, had the effect that the company was not working. Um, and this was actually sad because the software was quite good, the team was good, companies tried to buy it. Um, and it, there was some lot of successful parts in it, and this is what basically um, triggered the fork. So, twelve people, including me, the core twelve people, actually decided to um, start over. And like four years ago, we founded Nextcloud as a fork <laughs> of my own project and fork of my own company. Mm -hmm. And we actually try to do some things or a lot of things differently and better this time. For example, we are pure open source. We don't have proprietary um, extensions. Um, we work better together with the community. We actually don't have external investors anymore. So it's completely self-funded and sustainable. And yeah, we actually try to do this like nicer together with our contribute community because we have a really good and big community of over 2,000 volunteer coders. And um, it's very important to do it in a fair way for everybody. And yeah, that's what we're doing with Nextcloud now. So what was it about OpenCore that you didn't like or that you decided to move away from? So um, I gave a talk about that like a year ago at FOSTEM, I think. Um, this talk has more information, but I can give you the, the, the rough summary. I think if you really want to do a real successful open source free software community project, then it's really important that you attract as many people as possible and that everybody as happy is uh, as happy in the community as possible. This is, I think, the success factor of a really working free software open source community. And for that, it's very important that everybody is like on the same like on the same level that everybody has the same rights that's not everything is dominated by by a company who has like special rights and the community are only like cheap developers somehow like it has to be fair and this is something that's usually not the case with open core because um we had several interesting issues for example 
the enterprise edition had more features than the community edition as mentioned before but then sometimes a community person comes along and implements the enterprise feature in the community version <laughs> that's interesting interesting situation and then the company actually had to say no we can't accept this pull request because this is going yeah. against our own business model misaligned incentives yeah. yes exactly and that's of course stupid because the community should be your friend right it shouldn't be your enemy somehow and um, yeah many other things i mean like roadmap planning product management doesn't really work if you if you not really have the exact same product in the community and the fact that everybody who contributes actually has to give um the ownership of the code to the company i mean this is also something i mean most volunteers on github or someone else that just want to send the pull request and help that don't really want to sign a contract and check oh what i'm what i'm doing here is this like uh, is who has the right on my code now is someone is someone someone getting rich with my contribution or it's just not very it's just not very fair not very equal in my opinion it comes down to creating a win-win right the 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 company wants to succeed and the the community wants great software the win-win is yeah. is the hard part right the win-win is absolutely the hard part yes but um I think it is possible if you have the right business model. That's also an interesting thing because the question is, what does the company sell? If the company tries to sell software, then there is a conflict of interest because if the same software is then available to the community for free and for companies for money, then this doesn't really work, especially not with free software licenses. This is why it is companies like MongoDB and, and Redis and others actually changing their license at the moment because there's a conflict of interest. Um, but we have a different business model. We have the, uh, the business model similar to Red Hat and SUSE, which means the software is available for free to everybody, but we sell like support subscriptions to the companies. So if you run Nextcloud in a mission-critical way, then you can come to us and we give you support and security patches and you, we help you with scalability and with like upgrading and many, many other things. Similar things you get if you buy a Red Hat enterprise subscription um, instead of just using CentOS. So, and you have this, this business model. I think it's a lot fairer to other contributors and then you don't really need to sell the software. The software is available for everybody, also for the contributors. We just sell the, these enterprise services to companies and home users don't really need it. Support's one way to say that, but I think if you phrased it, it could be said that you sell successful usage of the software, right? <laughs> yeah. Support's yeah. one yeah, thing, yeah, of yeah, course, no. right? But like, <clears throat> you want people to use the software because it has value to the community. Yes. And if, I'm, if Jared and I decided to use Nextcloud tomorrow, you know, we might have some problems, but what you would actually sell us wouldn't be support, it would be successful usage of it, scaling it, security patching mm. it, making sure that we have success using it. That's actually funny because you described it better than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is uh, exactly how it is. This is actually this exactly how I usually describe it. What we sell is um, basically some kind of insurance that you yeah. can run Nextcloud in a mission-critical way. Yeah. Um, this is what you mm -hmm. need if you have if you're a big organization and part of it is support yes part of it is like 
like long-term support that you have like you have guarantees that you get security fixes in time that you can call someone if there's a scalability issue that there's maybe certifications maybe you need to be HIPAA compliant or whatever all those things and this is what you what you want if you run it in a mission critical way and you don't really care if you're a home user or just a volunteer developer so you're you're definitely going that route would definitely be on our side right like you're not trying to sell us software. You're trying to sell us successful uses of that software. Um, right. Is there enough meat in that business model? In in every open open source business opportunity, there may not be. So how do you ensure, mm. as you said, uh, self self funded, profitable, sustainable company? How do you ensure that you know with that <laughs> that sort of win win scenario? Is that the yeah. extremely difficult part? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's the main question, right? So, um, oh, there's so many things to say. I mean, some business people, they look at the conversion rate. They say, like, look how many people use the software without paying and how many people use the software with pay, paying us. But this is, in my opinion, the totally wrong metric because we focus on growing the cake instead of fighting with our own community users at the moment. So um, I think the, there are lots of lots of people on this planet, and ninety nine point nine percent never heard of Nextcloud before, right? and we right. we think we want to become more pure popular. This is why we give the way software away for free for many other reasons too, for our, our contributor community, but actually make Nextcloud more popular and make Nextcloud more usable and so on is the highest priority for us. At the end of the day, if someone is like paying us or not, I mean, of course, it, I prefer if companies pay us. And to be honest, the big ones usually do because they have a service level agreement and, and other things that we can give to them. But I mm -hmm. mean, the bigger, honestly, the bigger, the bigger challenge for us is to get more and more users. It's not really to force our community users to pay us. I think this is the wrong strategy. A real positive way to look at it is just to focus on what you know what salespeople would refer to as the top of your funnel, right? Like if we could yeah. just we don't have to optimize the conversion if yes. we realize, like you said, most people have never heard of this. If we could just get more and more and more people to hear about it and mm -hmm. then start to use it, then the bot the conversion maybe be, is low, but it's still enough. There's enough meat on the bones, yes. as Adam was saying. So, I mean, next cloud. Own cloud became came next cloud. This is mission critical software for a business or for a, a family or whoever's running it. Right, this is your data on your own mm -hmm. cloud. You know, at your business or at a service provider, wherever it happens to be. And so it makes sense that you're selling basically success or risk mitigation if you look at it that way. Of like, mm -hmm. well, what are the risks here? Can we throw money at the risk problem and that'll allow us to adopt this thing? Does this model work mostly or only for mission critical things such as you know hosting and your data and you know the, the kind of stuff that Nest Cloud provides? Or is it do you think it's generalizable to other types of open source software? Excellent question. You're really asking so many excellent questions. <laughs> no, it's, it's not honestly. It's it's really good. Well, thank so you. so sometimes other open source projects or companies come to me and, and ask for advice. Hey, can we like adopt the next cloud model? What do, what's your recommendation? And and to be honest, in a lot of cases, 
I have to say, no, this probably would not work for you because software is different. I mean, what's special about Nextcloud is that it runs from very tiny to very big. So you can run a, a Nextcloud server on a Raspberry Pi for your family at home, but you can also run it on a big uh, Linux cluster for 10,000s of people. And the biggest instance we have um, has 20 million users, actually, on one Nextcloud. Wow. So, and this is the same software, bit by bit, the same software. And this is a nice success factor for us because it we attract our, our contributors by being useful um, at home, but at the end of the day, then selling support subscription to the huge guy. So this is something you want. Another challenge is that um, this is something open source projects that are more in the middleware somewhere, like the, the Mongos and the, and the Redis and others, they're facing at the moment with the cloud services like Amazon, of course, where um, they just take the software and offer it as a service. And that's, that's a challenge. We don't really have this challenge too much because, first of all, we are more user-facing because if you if someone like Amazon takes like or whatever um, MongoDB and offers hosting and they rename it to I don't know Amazon DB, most developers probably don't care because they know well it's the same API it, it's working I can use it all good, but we are user facing, and if you want to offer this for your company and then you say well you have, you can choose between Nextcloud and I don't know, super cloud 2000, then <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> people would be irritated. So what is that? I mean, I want to have the real thing. So for us, it's a bit easier to actually um, sell to basically not being exploited by the big uh, cloud companies. Uh, another thing is that our mission is, of course, to provide security and privacy to our users so our story is usually usually an on-premise story so lots of our users run nextcloud on-premise it is possible to deploy it with one click on on amazon or microsoft or google cloud but people usually don't do this because if they run nextcloud on amazon they can run like dropbox in the first place what's the difference mm -hmm. so this is why the big cloud providers are for us not a big threat but there are a threat for many other open source businesses. That's a challenge. That's interesting. You are kind of uniquely positioned in that way, in that because Nextcloud is it, your own private cloud, running it on a public cloud or a big provider, like if you're going to use Azure, you might as well just use Microsoft's Live 365, or if you're going to use GCP, you might as well just use Google App Suite or something, right? Because you're kind of wanting to keep your data off of those clouds mm. for the most part. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe an individual is happy to just run it on Linode or something, but for a large corporation, I think on-premise is the value proposition, isn't it, to a large extent, is they can own their own data? Yep. That's exactly the, that's exactly the thing. So if you look at our biggest customer from a company perspective, lots of them have it on their own infrastructure somewhere. For example, the German government or the French government, they are using Nextcloud um, for their ministries for hundreds of thousands of people. And they run it on, uh, on private cloud infrastructure that is not even connected to the internet. It's completely on, in, 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 on internal infrastructure. And this is where Nextcloud um, shines. So we are not really in direct competition to the, to the big public clouds here. How often is the... I guess the user type 
not wanting to use the public cloud and using on-premise. That seems like a, a specific use. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think we could use on-premise. We're not an on-premise company. We're a distributed company. So we'd have to leverage yeah. a Linode, a DigitalOcean, or one of the big clouds, you know, Azure's and such. You know, is that common mm-hmm. for an on-premise customer to be? Is that is that commonplace? I suppose. I mean, the value proposition is in a lot of, in in, in I would say in eighty percent of the case, it is something around security and privacy. Yeah, and and this is often it means on-premise but it doesn't really mean your own server in your basement right it can be mm-hmm. it can be in a in a hosting center that's next door and you have a special contract with them and they are certified and they're in the same country and they are like i don't know you somehow trust them um it can be that um other security things are also that you can audit the software for example we have some government users customers who um, who audited the software? So they actually looked at the code and paid people to to check if everything was okay, and they looked for backdoors and other things. And because it's open source, they could check that there are no backdoors in it. That's not really po- um, possible with lots of other well, cloud service, Office 365, G Suite, and so on. So this is a this is like important for most of our customers. But of, there are other benefits too. For example, uh, speed and cost. Usually you say, well, Amazon is like affordable and fast and everything. But if you really have a lot of data, for example, uh, Nextcloud is used by uh, huge universities, particle accelerators, uh, research institutions who literally generate petabytes of data a day. I mean, it's really hard to upload all this data to to Amazon or to the Google Cloud. Because of that, they have their own hosting center like in 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 the same building. And in this use case, like Nextcloud can be useful um, to provide like services to collaborate on this on this data, to sync it to other machines and so on. So it's, I mean, Amazon is big, but um, <laughs> it becomes really expensive if you upload like petabytes. If you're building out a digital store or e-commerce site, what's the one thing you have to get right? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, taking payments, that's right. I've got good news for you though. Square APIs and SDKs make taking payments, managing orders, catalogs, customers, inventories, or even employees painless. With Square, you can build commerce apps that go beyond payments. They support iOS, Android, Flutter, and React Native for in-app mobile payments, or to integrate with Square readers from your own app. Square also has payment forms for embedding a checkout experience directly into your website. Check out tutorials and explainers on Square's YouTube channel for developers at youtube.com slash square dev. You can learn about key concepts like item potency, how to take digital wallets in an online shop, or how to store and charge a card on file. Again, learn more and get started today at youtube.com slash square dev. I'm a bit curious about the actual forking process since it was open core. Curious about the license interplay or like surely there was aspects of the software you had to leave behind because there were proprietary aspects. Did you rewrite large swaths? Was it inspired by own cloud or is it lots of source code came over? Tell us about the actual fork. Yeah, it was actually um, faster and easier than expected. 
So um, when we when we planned this, mm, is this possible? Is this realistic or not? We made a little bit of like a like a plan. I think we planned to do the first Nextcloud release. I don't remember. Maybe two months after after the announcement of the fork, where we thought, okay, let's we need to take the software, we need to um, change everything that's trademarked. So this was the most work, to be honest, to replace like the old the old name that was still owned by the old company with the new name Nextcloud. So the, I mean, copy and paste is like <laughs> search replace is fast. But there are other places like in pictures and logos used in places and so on. So this was a lot of work. And then, um, as you mentioned, um, the proprietary pieces, of course, we can't use them, obviously. So we had to rewrite those pieces. But um, because most of the core development team um, actually moved over to Nextcloud, we really, I mean, from day one, we, we really had like an awesome development team. So it actually was quite fast to replace all the pieces. So I think, I don't fully remember, but I think we had the first release out after just two or three weeks after we announced the fork because the community nice. was really, I mean, they're really enthusiastic and they really jumped in and I don't know, pieces like the, develop, uh, the, the documentation was something completely done by volunteers. And so it was actually, um, it was quite, quite fast. <laughs> Was the relationship so irreparable that you often think like, you know, should you collaborate or compete? You know, and obviously forking, you decided to compete, I suppose, at least on the recognition of the purpose of the software, right? And obviously it's open source now and there's a different sort of business model spun to it. And you have this idea of like, will own cloud still succeed? Will next cloud compete against it? Yeah, so um, it's true. I mean, for a long time, I tried to fix and improve things from the inside. Mm -hmm. Like in the old project, in the old organization, I I failed. I mean, there were just, um, yeah, I don't want to go into too much into details, but it was not possible for me, unfortunately. And uh, The reason why I ask that question, let me frame that so, so that it's a little clear there, <laughs> is that often we'll see, you know, communities sort of have infighting and for lack of better terms, it's some sort of civil war. We've seen it in the, you know, Rails ecosystems around, you know, I can't recall the different things that happened around that, but uh, it, Merb, Merb. Uh, was it was it Merb? Uh, Merb. Ancient history. Yeah, it's ancient history. We've seen it with Node, <laughs> and so the question always comes like, you know, should you try to repair or replace? And mm. you know, obviously, we know the the route you chose. I'm just trying to understand, you know, I guess your feelings around that, somewhat specifically to your situation, but then generalized to those listening to yeah. say, you know, should we infight or should we try to collaborate? Um, yeah, our situation was a bit different. So um, there was no real fighting inside the community. It was more like a fight between the community and uh, company uh, people like company product management and engineering mm. management and so on who didn't really understand how the community works and they didn't really like what are all these people, why are they doing stuff? I mean, there, for example, lots of the management of the old company was really confused when the community people um, started to write a calendar and contacts and email integration because for them it's like, what are you doing? You're working in the wrong market. We are file sync and share. You're doing groupware. That's stupid. So, 
So <laughs> they didn't really understand how the community dynamics work. So there was more mm. a fight between the community and like the management of the old company. And then when the fork happened, I mean, people were really like unchained somehow. They were like, oh, and finally, I can do what I want. I don't need to ask for permission to do this and that. And you can really see in the GitHub statistics that the productivity like doubled and tripled. So it was more this kind of conflict. It was not inside the community in that way. So talk about the community relationship. So Nextcloud provides certain aspects of the cloud that are like, you know, the core experience, files, photos, mail, contacts, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You even have a, a to-do, which is kind of like a Kanban board uh, thing called Deck or on deck, what is it called, deck? Deck. I got logged out of the demo. Um, <laughs> as I was refreshing, it just logged me out. I think it's it, it warned me I was going to get 60 <laughs> minutes, and I'm, I think I'm out now. But uh, And then there's like this whole app store marketplace idea. So there's like mm -hmm. plugins. Talk about, I mean, is that what you're talking about when they felt like they were at odds with the company? Is yeah. that people were wanting to build out these aspects, which are like huge wins for a community, is to add this brand new subsection of what, you know, add a whole new room to your cloud, and I could see where that would butt up against an open core business because that could be like the proprietary pay for this feature. Mm. And so is that what happened is with Nextcloud that kind of allowed a community to blossom around these plugins or the app store? Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so many aspects. Um, like, first of all, this app ecosystem Maybe maybe just to talk about the name first, because people think it's sort of plugins. And at the very beginning, people ask me, why should we not, let's call this plugins. But plugins are just small changes or extensions to a software. But I see Nextcloud really as like a platform where you can write all kinds of complex applications on top of it. So this is why, why we call this apps. Um, and you see this nowadays mm -hmm. with this calendar and email and the chat and video calling applications and notes. They are not plugins for the file syncing. They are complete applications. And this is something I always thought that this is like something the community wants and also our users want because you can get more and more features. And But this was a bit of a conflict, as I mentioned before, to the typical like company managers because they are talk to analysts, they talk to Gartner, and they say, "Yeah, you're in the file syncing share business, and this is what you what you should do." And this kind of total creative chaos that you get with an with an open source community, this is like hard to understand for the typical like software manager who never did open source before and and now that we basically opened this up completely i mean you can do everything you want with nextcloud even like inside the car everybody can do a pull request and you have to have two other people approve it then the change is in it doesn't even matter if someone is a volunteer is an employee of the company or not it doesn't you don't have any management there it's just normal community processes and now it's i don't know i don't really care if we are technically to Gartner in a specific market or not. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I, the only thing that's important to me is like if the software is useful for people and well, this is guaranteed with the community because they do what they want. It's usually creative and, and good. And to be yeah. honest, to be honest, 
if I would be the guy who sits like in a room alone and thinks about the roadmap and this is what we should do. I mean, this is not a good solution. <laughs> I really believe in the creativity of the open source community. And this is why by opening this up, this is really, there's so much creativity and so much motivation in the, in the, in the contributor community now. Give us an example of a community-based app for Nest Cloud that has unlocked some feature that either you wouldn't have imagined or that's just really above and beyond what you'd think of a typical plugin. Like, what's a good example? Um, there's so many examples. One thing um, I can use as an example is the Maps app. So um, that was the idea. And actually, to be honest, I heard from people like, I don't know, one, two, three years ago, who told me, yeah, we want to work on a maps app that you can have like maps inside Nextcloud. And to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, I didn't really didn't look into this idea too much and I didn't really understand. To, for myself, I thought, well, that's a weird or stupid idea. Right? I mean, who wants to have maps? I mean, you can go to whatever, some other mapping website and Google will always yeah. be better and then your Nextcloud maps. But, but I don't, I don't, whatever, people can do what I want and people worked on it. And um, this is now a super, super awesome app, I have to say. First of all, they won the contest of the most, uh, of the coolest app of the year at our conference last, uh, last fall. So people really like it, the Maps app. And, and now that I really understand what people try to build here, I also totally agree that it's super awesome. For example, you can watch, uh, you can look at your photos on a, on a map here. So if you synchronize your photos to your next cloud, the, the EXIF data is automatically extracted and you can look at the photos on your map. And that's obviously very useful to be able to do that without uploading your data to Dropbox or Google or Apple or whatever. It's completely running on your on your own machine and your own infrastructure. And you can also look where your contacts are based on a map. Um, yeah, and it's true that the map data, I mean, for the maps, we use OpenStreetMap data. They're sometimes not as detailed as the latest maps from Apple or Google, but it, they're totally good enough. I mean, and you can really look at your data on a map and all the algorithm and data is on your machine. So this is something that came out of the community. And originally I thought, well, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> but then after seeing the <laughs> after seeing the end result i'm i'm told i totally changed my mind and it's it's really awesome and this is something well it's the power of community so nest cloud the service or the product the enterprise do you then have to support maps or do you draw a line in the sand that says we'll give you your success story for pay but we're not going to support things that we don't write cuz you would be you the company would be basically inheriting the risk of your community if you supported all these apps as a company we defined like the core functionality and these features are uh, part of our product that we support and these are also the features that are usually useful for companies because well i mean we make our support contracts with companies right we don't we don't have a business model for home users so um and these are functionalities that are I mean, we really look at the code, we really, I mean, either we have very close relations to the community maintainers, because, I mean, we need to be able to, fix, uh, to for example, ship security fixes for this code, or fix bugs with the code, so we need to really have close relations, 
or we we hire the maintainers and they're then our on our payroll and then we can actually guarantee that we support that but the functionality that's in that's covered by our support contract is only the core product i mean all the hundreds of uh -huh. third-party plugins they are just some stuff on from the app store and that's sometimes customers come to us and say hey i want to use this cool feature what can we do here and then we look at the code and talk to the developer and then hey and then sometimes we do some kind of revenue share where i say well look we have this one company they really want to have support for your app can we do this together somehow we split the money or maybe they give you some money for additional feature development and yeah then we come to an agreement but the usual support contracts are only for the core product, not for the weird community extensions. Makes sense. So I noticed in your GitHub org, you have 170 something people at this point. How many of those off the top of your head is estimate? Like how many community members have you ended up hiring? Seems like a pretty cool way of getting new hires is having, you know, con community contributors <laughs> building apps and then saying, hey, why don't you come work for us? Does that happen often? Yeah. That happens often, and that's good and bad at the same time. I mean, it's hiring good developers for us is really easy because if I if I need someone in a specific area, I can just look at the community and say, "Hey, what you're doing as a hobby here? That's really nice. Do you want to get paid to do the same?" So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is quite uh, this is quite easy for us to find really good developers, and of course, all these people they are they already believe in the mission. They already understand um, the software and the framework. I mean, they are productive on day one because they already work with the code. So, hiring good developers is really easy for us. The problem is we have to be careful not like killing our community because like right. if we hire all the good people then we turn the community into a company and that's not what we want so there's a fine line there for sure but it is nice to have such a big community that it is available to you you know if you want to exercise that right i suppose or that opportunity not so much a right but more of an opportunity to to grow the offering and provide a, i suppose a great service it all comes down to like what you're optimizing for and if you're optimizing for great software that's useful to a large portion of the world, maybe even specific sectors like business or homes or families, you know, then then you're going to want to not cannibalize your community. And it's a fine line to draw there, though. Totally. Yeah, totally. And this is one of the one of the interesting things, because if you read like business or product management 101 textbooks then then the first thing you hear is that you really need to optimize your product for a specific target group right. so um if i tell people that we are building software that's useful for big governments and at the same time home users well then the reaction is always well that's stupid that's not possible right <laughs> it's really like i mean that's a big mistake i mean you can't optimize for two target groups that are totally different but um yeah at the moment it's still working and to be honest i mean other software like obviously 365 from microsoft or google suite this is also software that's used by home users and big companies so it's mm -hmm. it's it's sort of working when you say community um, do you define that as, is there sort of layers to that, say, 
community of contributors and say con- community of interested people, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to get at is this ratio of team members on the next cloud company team versus say the community. And if you define that as like somebody who's contributed, do you consider yeah. the ratio? So, you know, you're 1% of the community for, for lack of better terms, you know, like your team represents yeah. say 1%. If that's a, you know, a rational number, maybe it's half a percent even considering that the community always grows with the entropy of, of yeah. developers growing. Yeah. First of all, I mean, you're totally right. I, I have to be more precise with the term community because sometimes when I talk to other companies, they also talk, yeah, we have this community, we have this community. And then, yeah. at time, and then I realize that they mean their customers, they call their customers community or something. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different ways to define community. So for me, a com- the, what I mean with community is usually the contributor community. They're the okay. people who are really like help to improve the software and there can be coders, and there we have like over two thousand at the moment who really, um, yeah, help to send pull requests to the core functionality. And I don't even count like the the app ecosystem because there I don't really have numbers because some of them are developed on GitHub, and then of course you could do some statistics, but lots of those um, apps they come from other sources, so I don't really know. And then we have the translators. I mean, Nextcloud is available in like 96 languages at the moment. I mean, some of them are Klingon and other things. Really? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> but still, I mean, 90, 96 languages. And I mean, we don't pay a single translator in the company. It's all done by the community, contributor wow. community again. So, um, and we have lots of those things. So we have people who do meetup and events and, and places. So I, I usually call community the people who really help to push the product forward. But then, of course, we have like lots of users and fans. And um, sometimes they send messages like, hey, I use the software for many years and thanks a lot. And so, but it's hard to measure. I can't, I can't really say. If you look at, People who contribute code with pull requests to the to the core repositories, then we have a bit over two thousand, and um, well employed developers. I think we have like twenty five to thirty people who are really paid to write code, and two thousand volunteers. Of course, with two thousand volunteers, they are not doing this full time. Usually, we have some full time mm-hmm. volunteers. I don't know how they do it. But <laughs> but uh, they usually like just I don't know do a fix yeah I don't know once a month or something like that. Well, based on those numbers, back of the napkin math says that you're about one point five percent ratio. So you employ roughly one point five percent of the developers that contribute to Nextcloud. Mm. Uh, just yeah. to sort of round that off, but you know, on your GitHub you say community driven. I do agree that it might make more sense to say. I suppose community-driven is, is good enough, but it leaves questions, as we've said here, to say contributing community-driven, potentially. And I guess the, sure. the hinting question is, how do you, if you're optimizing for that kind of business model where you're community-driven, contributor community-driven, then how do you enable that community to drive? Like, in what ways, what kind of things do you do specifically as a business to mm-hmm. enable that thing, to enable that? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think the the most important thing is um, what to not do instead of what to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so I think everything that I mean, most most other companies and open source projects there there should already start with 
not demotivating people, for example, that you that you don't have any processes to follow. I mean, that's one of the very common thing that if you want to contribute to a software, then you somehow have to follow processes. And processes are fine if you are an employee, then for sure there are company processes. But if you're just a volunteer, like send, trying to send in a bug fix like at a, at a Saturday, then you don't want to, I don't know, follow huge processes. So it really should be easy for people to do it. They should feel they should feel uh, valued, so they really should be treated as like like everybody else, even if they just send like a one line bug fix or something. Um, that, as I mentioned before, I think it's a bad idea to require them to sign any contracts so that we can accept the one line bug fix or something. That's that's weird. Um, like from a business model perspective i mean it should be fair i mean they, they understand that we sell support but the software should be available for everybody so they should be able to use their own bug fix this sounds obvious but yeah. in most cases <laughs> this is not obvious maybe they have to like buy the software later that they fix themselves or something <laughs> some weird stuff and um yeah this is just like make it easy to contribute of course there's also active things that you can do for example we are we are organizing a conference once uh, uh, once a year and some hackathons um, every few months where we invite people and we sometimes pay for travel. Um, so very active community people, we just like invite to, hey, come to Berlin in summer and we pay for the travel. This is something we do. We have an active mentoring project um, where we... Um, if you're a student and you want to get involved and we can give you a mentor to help and we have a, a diversity program where we help like underrepresented groups to get involved in in uh, nextcloud where we have like sponsoring and internships and, and other things so we actively sponsor people and try to bring them into the community but of course at the end of the day we can only do this with a few people with we don't have the money to like pay yeah. flights for a thousand people, right? So the thousands of volunteers, they have to like it. They have to like the software. They have to like the mission. They have to like the, the free software license. They have to like what we are doing. Otherwise, it's not possible to pay them to become part of the community. Maybe let's laser into maybe a core product like files. So mm -hmm. if how do you how do you lead files? in the direction it needs to go in a community-driven way? Like, is there a product lead that works for Nextcloud that interfaces with sort of like a, you know, team, for lack of better terms, in the community that says, hey, I'll, I'll be a part of this team. I don't work for you, but I want to contribute because mm -hmm. I care enough or I want to develop in these ways. Mm -hmm. How do you, how does that mm -hmm. work? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> excellent question. So we... Uh, we do releases of the software roughly three times a year. And we have on our website communicated the schedule. For example, at the moment, we are in the development phase of the version 19. And there will be feature freeze. I don't remember. In a few weeks, we have feature freeze. And then um, after that, there are only bug fixes allowed. And then, then there are beta and RCs. And then there's a final. And this is like organized by us, but it's not a big miracle. This is just a fixed, fixed release cycle. So, and whatever, whatever pull requests are submitted during the development phase of this release, 
they are they go into the product, right? Um, and we have a review process for these pull requests, so everybody can send the pull request, and then two other core people need to approve it. They need to say, yeah, this is like secure, fine, coding style, fine, UI looks fine, whatever, and then it goes into the product. And those three people, like the one person who sent, who submitted the pull request and two others who reviewed it, none of them really have to work for the company. They can be just like other community people. So this is basically, so how the, to answer your question, how the files part of Nextcloud looks in 19 is basically purely defined which pull requests are submitted and accepted. And then this is the product. What we do as a company is, of course, people who are paid um, to work on Nextcloud, well, then they have to, with X percent of their time, follow the company roadmap, basically. So we as a company, we also think that, look, hmm, this is we do product management. This is what the competition is doing. This is missing. This customer is asking for that. And this is like needs refactoring, whatever. And then we as a company, we tell our paid developers to work on those things. But at the end of the day, they just send submit normal pull requests. And if someone else comes along and submits another pull request, then that's also part of the product. So this is like there is no real central maintainer who says yes or no to every single feature. It's really who is doing their work uh, decides. How often do you think about internal tooling? I'm talking about the back office apps, the tool the customer service team uses to access your databases, the S3 uploader you built last year for the marketing team, that quick Firebase admin panel that lets you monitor key KPIs, and maybe even the tool that your data science team had together so they can provide custom ad spend insights. Literally every line of business relies upon internal tooling, but if I'm being honest, I don't know many engineers out there who enjoy building internal tools let alone getting them excited about maintaining or even supporting them. And this is where Retool comes in. Companies like DoorDash, Brex, Plaid, and even Amazon, they use Retool to build internal tooling super fast. Retool gives you a point, click, drag and drop interface that makes it super simple to build these types of interfaces in hours, not days. Retool connects to any database or API, for example, to pull data from Postgres, just write a SQL query and drag and drop a table onto the canvas. And if you want to search across those fields, add a search input bar and update your query, save it, share it. It's too easy. Learn more and try it free at retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. Frank, you've described how the community interacts with the company and how it's a community-driven open-source project with the next cloud company attached to it. And no doubt you've been successful at building that community. The switch from open core to completely open source undoubtedly was a huge aspect of making that work. So like you said, you kind of felt like you unlocked the community members to really you know, do their thing when you switched from OwnCloud to NextCloud. I'm curious how else you had success building this community because many open source projects want an awesome, and we're talking about contributor community, not just users, right? But thousands of contributors 
are excited and writing software that plugs into or adds on top of Nextcloud. And I'm curious how you built that from the ground up. Yeah, so community building is is an interesting topic. I think it's a lot of psychology behind it. You have to think what uh, contributors like and what you can do to make this a fun experience. Um, I mean, there are a lot of things that you should avoid, obviously, like making contributing uh, difficult and, and, and complicated and intransparent. That's, you need to avoid that. But you also need to have like positive incentives. I mean, I think it's very important to understand that a lot of contributors, code contributors, developers, um, in the current job market, I mean, they can get very nice jobs to write software, proprietary software for companies. So you really need to give them something so that they basically write code in their free time without payment. Um, and a big factor here is to have a good vision and mission uh, behind this. I mean, if you're an open source project and you're just like, I don't know, <laughs> your, your database. And I mean, maybe it's fun to make the database a little bit faster or something. Sure, this I'm sure this attracts some contributors. But in our case, it's really about like providing security um, and privacy to users. And this is a bigger, bigger motivation. There's a bigger mission behind it. And this helps to attract people. Also, to be honest, um, we picked some, uh, <laughs> some uh, companies as our enemies, like the big cloud providers like Microsoft and Google and so on, right? And always, it's always helpful to have to be the, to be the small guy who is trying to compete. The underdog so story. The underdog yeah. story. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we are, we are basically trying to compete with the huge companies that are like a million times um, have more people and more money than us. So and that's a big motivator. I mean, this motivates like me personally too, and <laughs> motivates like most of the employees, but also motivates the motivates the the, the contributor community because we try to yeah, together. If we can work together as an open source team, maybe we try to build an alternative to the to the big uh, the, the big enterprises. Um, I think that's a, that's an important um, success factor. But there's other things like. I don't know, being transparent, being honest, being like, I don't know, being like being that you can meet people in person at a conference and like, yeah, well, there are real people behind the software. It's not just like some anonymous people working in some office building, but they're actually people like you and me and then you can build up the personal relation. So yeah, community building is, there are so many aspects. I don't even know where to where to start and where to end. Mm -hmm. But it's a uh, it's at the end of the day you need to have a, a fair human interaction with the people. It's not really about I don't know um, technical stuff like I don't know paying people or what Git repository to use. It's really about people and to be friendly and open and welcome a diverse community too it's another important thing and yeah and i think if you if you're nice and transparent and you have a vision and you, it's easy to understand and easy to learn then then you you attract people contributors all too often do we have this uh i guess lack of humanity is the easiest way to say it because so often yes. the easiest solution is just simply connection a relationship respect empathy you know like what seems like 
to some degree obvious and logical to many in our age, I suppose. Maybe it's something with the this era we're in now where you can be born and mm. Facebook's a thing, whereas, you know, for probably all of us on this call today, when I was born, Facebook wasn't a thing. The internet was barely a thing, if it was at all, 1979. So, I mean, that's a long time ago. In an era like today, though, we're so connected to digital and so disconnected from humanity that the obvious answer is just to focus on human beings. Yeah, I like again, the mission aspect as well, so giving something that people can really get, can buy into an idea, yes. even more so than just a piece of software, yeah. an underdog story, and a, a vision of a life of security and privacy that you can contribute to, I think is powerful. Did you guys do any deliberate community building around the idea of uh, around these relationships and the transparency? Like were there meetups or conferences or like a place where people, the community gathers? Yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing, we're doing meetups and, and conferences and everything. But what we don't have is, uh, I mean, we don't have a community management I mean, a lot of companies, they have like the, the normal company and communication and marketing and development. And then they have this other department, which uh, takes care of the open source community. And you have a community manager mm -hmm. who is trying with and the job is to do this parallel activities and this parallel events and this parallel communication and parallel development process and stuff. And I find it's weird. I mean, for us, it's the same. It's like we are like our our marketing is also targets our community targets also yeah. our enterprise customers but also targets like the community in a lot of cases the message is also the same because our companies care about privacy and security and our contributors too and uh, the events are also there's a huge overlap so we're trying to integrate that another interesting thing is yeah maybe to explain this a bit better is like in the old days at the old project we actually had two websites we had a .com website and a .org website and the .com website was like for the big paying customers and the .org was for the community and it's always that's a bit weird right? nowadays we have only one website and we, we balance it for both target groups and um, this works out quite well. And to be honest, there's sometimes not two target groups. Like in so many cases where I have like meetings with customers um, that tell me, yeah, I mean, we are trying to use Nextcloud in our big company here, and but I'm also using Nextcloud at home. I'm also a home user. Yeah. So it's not that's cool. It's it's <laughs> it's not that you have the open source community and then you have the serious business community and they're totally different. I mean, if you really yeah. do your if you're doing a good job, then this is the same. I will have to say that my spidey sense has gone up on a, a couple of companies a couple of times with community managers or sometimes it's developer relations where I can see both sides of the coin. Like on and one, like if you have a dedicated person that's like I'm running the community or I'm Man, community manager or something mm -hmm. in one regard you're like wow this company cares so much that they're going to pay somebody full-time just to participate in this capacity mm -hmm. and that means they care and then like maybe the pessimist in me thinks is is your community a business unit you know is it like <laughs> yes exactly it's almost like it's you see right through it and you're like is this a real community or is this a business unit with kpis and like <laughs> there's a it can ring hollow exactly and so that's an interesting point that you make there. I haven't really put a put it into words before, but I definitely had that feeling where I was just like, 
this feels not actually like a real community, but kind of like a facade of what a community is supposed to look like. Mm. And sometimes that turns me off. Yeah, we had this in the past, like in the old in the old company where there was the the real marketing, and then part of the real marketing was then the community manager for the community marketing, and then we had the real. Uh, engineering vice president of engineering and then you have the community manager who is doing the trying to translate this stuff into community processes and, and the same mm. for other 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 areas too and it's it's a bit weird i mean yeah with nextcloud it's of course a special situation because it basically was founded with with the core group who really did this years before so we really have this special understanding and focus on the community and the product and everything so we are able to i think combine those two worlds in a in a in a, in a maybe a unique way because if you yeah normal companies they have like you have your you have your, your managers and if you tell them well we also have this community and they all they don't really understand it in a lot of cases like yeah we have this other this weird volunteers there's this weird developers that sit in the basement and they work for free i don't really <laughs> understand and it's like so, so it's like i don't know it's it, you don't see a lot of companies who really really like understand the power of open source. So a lot of cases just yeah, open source is a weird link, a uh, weird license. Our open source is just like yeah, we have this, we have this free freemium model where other people use our product without paying us. That's open source. But the the real like the real social human humanistic aspect of it, it's not you don't see this, see it that often. What would you say the biggest challenges you're facing is right now? Like you specifically, and then say, you know, the company at large. Um, so me, me specifically. I mean, my job is to, um, yeah, to, to to grow Nextcloud. I mean, to make sure that we have get more customers, hire more developers, like doing more marketing. Um, basically, make the Nextcloud story more successful. That's that's my personal personal job, and. Um, I mean, we are doing quite quite good at the moment because there's a lot of awareness, especially in in Europe and in other areas, that um, it's 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 good to have alternative to the big three cloud companies. Um, so um, yeah, the challenge at the moment for me personally is to grow the team and just to grow the company because it's well, in a way, like the fifty people we have is not so big, but of course it's. Nextcloud is only like three and a half, four years old, so it's also not that small. And yeah, we will grow more. And it's a challenge to find the right people and to build up the processes, but not too much processes, and to position ourselves in the right way. Um, yeah, and of course we also we are we are stupid enough to compete with the huge companies here. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. Stupid that we try to offer a software that's comparable to Office 365 and Google Suite. And that's, of course, a big, big challenge. I mean, at the moment, we're doing a good job because of our open source strategy. So Nextcloud is 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 okay. It has, like, most of the features we, we need. But, of course, it's not standing still. Right? It's like, this is not a product which is 
it, it, it won't look the same in 10 years or in five years. It's constantly changing. And so we also have to change and have to evolve and be competitive from the from the user experience perspective and the feature perspective and at the, at the back end still being like open source and easy to run and easy to upgrade and everything you want from on-premise software. Over the next month, let's say you can wave a magic wand, maybe next quarter, and your job is growth, specifically your, your job. What would happen, you know, what kind of things would have to happen successfully for you to say, okay, now it's okay to grow the team? Like, is it a revenue thing? Like, like what certain what certain metrics, what levers get pulled or change? What variables change to say, okay, we can grow. We're safe. We can grow. So, um, I mean, we have a few challenges. I mean, one of the bigger one is, of course, to um, on the marketing side to make Nextcloud more uh, well-known because, well, we don't have a real marketing budget, right? We are a tiny organization. So if more and more people would would know the Nextcloud exists and it's easy for people to use it, um, for example, we are trying to work with some of the bigger um, service providers all over the world in different countries to, that they offer Nextcloud services. And then if we somehow became... I don't know, maybe get the next Super Bowl ad for free or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, that we really see, okay, well, now, now we know a lot more people know that Nextcloud exists and it's a good solution and so on. I think this is a, this would really help us to grow more and then I can hire more people and basically this would help us to reach the next the next level here. I mean, there's a lot of things to do on the software too. I mean, to improve i mean there's always features to do and bugs to fix and performance to improve obviously always but i think the marketing the marketing is something that where we really could use the, the uh, next next uh, reach next milestone somehow yeah well there's two things that uh you know, there's two questions essentially you ask yourself when it comes to to marketing you want to know who your customer is and you want to know where they're at those are the two mm -hmm. things to solve for. Once you know those two things, it's pretty easy to make an attack in terms of like finding them and sharing your message and sharing your vision, your dream. That's the hard part, though. Who who are they and where are they? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, in in a way, the the answer is obvious. It's like the decision makers, like the IT managers of the companies. But uh, in reality, it's of course a bit more difficult. Um, because who are those people? Are they like I don't know? At the moment, we have a, our strategy is to um, to reach those people also with our community products. A lot of people use like Nextcloud at home, and then later um, bring it to the company um, because we can't we don't have the budget to target like the IT decision makers directly. So we have to go through the the enthusiasts uh, community. Um, yeah, it's. It's an interesting, interesting challenge, and you're completely right. You need many to identify the target groups, but then, of course, the question is how to how do you reach them with uh, um, with our uh, our small marketing budget we have? Because the, the standard channels get creative is always yeah, the answer. <laughs> exactly. right? Growth hack, get creative. Come on, a podcast yeah, like this, free hack. Super Bowl ad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, breakthrough tomorrow, I'm sure. That's right. Hey, well, you never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's grassroots. I mean, we need to have a grassroots strategy somehow, word of mouth mm -hmm. strategy. Firefox did it. That's also, 
Yes, yeah, and many, many others too. I mean, Linux, right? I mean, Linux became popular mm -hmm. with uh, via the enthusiast community, and they have now basically completely killed the the commercial Unix systems out there just with their community strategy. Um, and the same thing with MySQL, like twenty years ago, and so on. So yeah, this is it's 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 a working strategy. Another another benefit of being open source. Absolutely. Well, Frank, our best of luck as you move forward with the next cloud. It looks like really, it looks like really high quality software. We didn't talk very much about the software itself, but you have so much experience and insights around the open sourcing side and the community side and the fork and dealing with the transition that we thought we would camp out there. And uh, we definitely recommend, we'll help you do a little grassroots marketing. We recommend our listeners check out NextCloud, especially if you are security-focused, privacy-focused, and uh, willing to uh, spin up a, a server in your house or in your in a rack nearby or want to run it on a, uh, a hosting provider, a VPS provider, something like that, definitely check it out. We've heard only good things about Nest Cloud, so you're doing a great job. I did check out some of the code. I'll say this, you're trying to keep up with some large companies. You have a lot of software out there. You have a lot of open source. So check out the Next Cloud re, uh, organization on GitHub. We'll have that in the show notes because there are a boatload of repos in all sorts of different languages and technologies from the server to the Android app to the iOS app. I'm sure there's many places to get involved. And uh, well, we appreciate you sitting down with us. Another shout out to Andre for helping put this episode yeah. together. and. We really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. It's really awesome to be on the show. And yeah. Thanks, Frank. All right. Let us know your thoughts about NextCloud at changelaw.com slash 383. Comment on this in all our episodes at changelaw.com. Head to your show notes and click discuss on Changelaw News. We'd love to hear from you. Support us by telling your friends in a text, tweet, Insta story, whatever. Pick your flavor of influence. We would appreciate it. And this episode was hosted by Jared Santo and myself, Adam Spikoviak. Our beats are produced by the Beat Freak Brake Master Cylinder and were brought to you by some awesome partners, Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar. Oh, and one more thing. We have a master feed that brings you all of our podcasts in one single feed. It's the easiest way to listen to everything we ship. Head to changelaw.com slash master to subscribe or search for Changelaw Master in your podcast app. You will find us. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.